Good morning, Jericho Ridge. It's really, really, really good to be back here. I've been uh, in the process of finding a church in Vancouver the last few months, and so do I need to do something? Oh, okay. And so it's always good to come back to a place that's familiar, and I know many of you, and to see, I think it's been a year since I've been back, and so many of you now have had young babies who are now adults, so that's just incredible. <laughs> Happened so fast. Um, also, I was only in India for six months, so Keith thinks I was gone longer. That's okay. I don't know what that means about our friendship, but we'll talk later. Um, and also, I just want to say for the record that women also love meat. <laughs> so just put that out there. But we also like table discussions too, so it's all good. <sighs> well, this morning, we are talking about evil and suffering. So, this is going to be good. Um, I actually feel like April and Danny just preached. Um, thank you. Where, where are they, April and Danny? Uh, I don't see them. I s- oh, there they are. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for what you shared. And um, yeah, just making, um, making the word of God real, right? Just like that. Bam. This is it. So what I want to share with you this morning is it's just an extension of, of their sermon that they gave us, um, not just in their words, but through their lives and uh, through this community and how you're going to come around this, this family. That is the church. Um, does anyone here ever struggle with their thought life? You don't have to put your hand up, but if you do, then I feel more comfortable up here. Anyone? Okay. Um, sometimes I do. Thank you. We'll... We'll talk after. Also, um, sometimes, um, sometimes we struggle with our thought life, right? We, sometimes we get into these loops in our thoughts, and, um, and we can't get out, and we feel stuck. I think that's a pretty normal human experience, and that's why we need the renewing of our mind. Well, when you have that, uh, that, that just normal human experience of struggling with your thought life on top of something like depression, um, it's not a great combination, and I wanted to, um, in our discussion this morning about, about suffering and evil, I wanted to share a little bit of my own experience uh, with, with suffering and evil. And for, for about two and a half years, I struggled with depression. And I think many of you know that. I've talked about that before here last year. And in that, in that struggle, and there's a whole bunch of different components to why we become depressed, and um, I don't want to simplify that this morning at all, um, but part of it is often spiritual, and part of my depression was was a spiritual um, experience. And in that, I I couldn't stop something in my in my mind. I couldn't stop the thought that I should be dead. And for two and a half years, I wrestled with this thought, and it came in all sorts of ways. Um, sometimes it would just come oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough, I failed. It would come through failure, feelings of failure. It would come through loneliness. Oh, I'm single, I don't have any friends. Um, I am single, that's true, but I, I do have friends. So that's, that's not true. Um, but, but it would come in all sorts of different ways. And because I was also battling depression, it would end with, I want to die. I don't want to be here anymore. There's no purpose for my life. There's no point to me being here. And, and this was something that, w- it wasn't always there. Sometimes I'd, I'd be feeling good and fine, and then, and then something, 
difficult would happen, and because I was in the state that I was, I would go back into these thoughts of, of wanting to die. And that was my, my thought pattern for, for two and a half years, just about. Well, one morning, um, it, it got really bad. It got really bad about, this is actually very recent, this is three and a half months ago, so I'm not ta- talking about like, oh, years ago when I was all sick and whatever. This is three and a half months ago in my life. I woke up one morning. Actually, it was kind of like a semi-awoken state where you just kind of, you're kind of like half asleep still. And I was just really, really battling with this again. And I, and I kind of woke up, and I, I had this image in my mind when I woke up. And the image that I had was an image of myself. And I was hanging from a rope, dead. And I woke up, and I thought, that's it. That is it. I am not doing this anymore. I cannot live like this anymore. And I was desperate. And so... I called a friend, and that night I went over to her house, and I just told her, I mean, you know, we, what do friends say, right? It's like, do I need counseling? Do I need, like, you know, all these things. I'd gone through counseling before. I, I'd gone through, you know, two years of just working on myself, and, and in so many ways I was feeling better, but I was still in this place of, of wanting to die. And so my friend um, you know, we prayed, we talked, and she just gave me this book. She's like, here, I think you need to read this book. And this book was called Spirit Wars. And I was like, what? Spirit Wars? That sounds so weird. But okay, I'm desperate. I'll do anything. I'll read anything. I'll try anything. Just about, you know what I'm saying. Um, so I read this book, and it was a really good book, and uh, had some ideas I'd heard before and had some new ideas. And at the end of this book, there was um, two pages that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And the, the author of this book tells a story about he's a pastor at a church and he's there, they're worshiping and he's walking around um, the people that are worshiping and he's just praying for them, just, you know, listening to God and just like, God, how can I pray for this person and this person? He gets to this woman and this woman is like a beacon of their church. Like she's just this solid woman, um, older lady, and um, who you'd never, like you'd never guess that she was struggling with suicide. But he gets to her and God says to her, I want you to pray for this woman. Um, she's, she's having thoughts of suicide. And he's like, no, God, like, not her. That's, that's impossible. She's so strong. And, you know, God insisted. Um, and so he approached her and said, uh, you know, excuse me, I know this is, sounds really awkward. And, uh, you know, like, what do you do, right? Are you suicidal? Um, she said, he said, I just believe I need to pray for you that um, I know you're having thoughts of suicide. And she looked at him and she was like, how do you know? He's like, well, God told me. Um, and so she just broke down and shared a story and how she had got to that place where she just wanted to die. And she, she just kept thinking, every time something hard would happen, I just want to die. And so in that moment, um, the author says that God just gave her insight into where she was at. And he just said, you, you've chosen to find your comfort in death instead of comfort in Christ. And we know that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our comforter. And when I read that, it just hit me. Like, oh my goodness, this is, this is really key for my life. I have, for the past two and a half years, in my difficult, difficult circumstances, chosen to find comfort in death 
instead of turning to the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. And, I mean, what do you do? You, you repent, you know, like, I don't want this anymore, God. And, um, and that was just such a turning point uh, for me, and I'll, and I'll go back to that story um, near the end. But that has been my, my ultimate struggle in my thought life. And I know that sounds, in some ways that sounds extreme, Um, But I wanted to hopefully share that story with you so you can relate your own. Uh, Maybe that's you. Maybe that is you this morning. Um, But we also know that death has a lot of friends. And maybe maybe your your suffering is with just one of his friends. Addiction, anger, hatred, selfishness, ignoring things. Um, You know, we could go on, lust. All the things that, um, that lead to death and destruction. So this morning we want to talk about um, a story in Luke 8. I don't think there's a PowerPoint. I look at screens all week, and so I was like, I'm not doing PowerPoint. Because maybe you look at screens all week too. So we have a break from a screen this morning. So put your phones away, Julie. Um, She's my sister, so I can do that. Um, (laughs) um, So no PowerPoint. So if you have your Bibles or you have your... Oh, you're looking for the verse on the... Okay, that's good. If you have your phone out, take your phone out. Find the verse. We're looking at Luke chapter 8. And we're talking about a storm this morning. We're talking about the presence of Christ um, versus what I just shared with you, death, fear, those kinds of things. But we're not just talking about, you know, okay, um, Jesus is with us. His presence is here. But we're talking about a storm when these disciples, as we're going to find, are, are at death's door. And there's a sleeping Jesus in the boat. We're talking about that kind of storm, right? Like, like what... Danny and April um, just described, like the storm where it's like, God, where are you? You're asleep. Even in that storm, will we choose life over death? And what does that mean? So just quickly, uh, I don't want to go into this a lot. We, obviously, evil and suffering is a huge topic. And even more than being a topic, it's a reality in our lives. And, I, and I'm fully aware that um, many of us in some way, are, are suffering this morning. And I'm fully aware that our world is suffering this morning, and our neighbors are suffering this morning. And so, please forgive me if I sound trite in any way in, in these 30 minutes that we're talking about this. That, um, I, that is not my intention, and I just, I, I'm so aware that our suffering is so real that there are no words often for our suffering. And that our, as we form a theology of suffering, most of it should actually be wordless. Because how do we, how do we talk about suffering, right? We, re, we look at the book of Job, and there's a man who is innocent, and he suffers. And then we look at the book of Lamentations, and there's a group of people who are not innocent. Um, and they suffer. And the whole book of Lamentations is just a lament, you know, metaphors of how we describe the suffering that we have. And so... Scripture, I mean, Scripture doesn't hide suffering. It is all over the place. It is smattered with suffering. Um, the book of Psalms is all mostly about just suffering and, and, and lament again. God, where are you? So we're, I don't want to give you a Sunday school answer, um, even though the answer is Jesus, and that's, that's going to come out. It's not, it's not the, the Jesus that we just flippantly say, oh, well, Jesus will fix it. 
I hope you don't hear that this morning. We're not going to just say, oh, pray it away. And, and the story I shared with you about my own life, that's, that's one story in many, many stories. And so it's not just, you know, oh, well, you're depressed, pray. That is not at all what I'm saying. So please don't hear that either. Um, okay, I, I'm going to trust the Spirit that you're going to hear what you're supposed to hear. Good? All right. So let's uh, turn to this story. Um, I have it here in my Bible, and I think you have it in yours, so let's go ahead and just read it. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. Luke eight twenty-two to 25. One day, he, Jesus, and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake, and they were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. I'm sure um, if you grew up in the church, you have heard this story before, guaranteed. Um, if you grew up in, in my family, you have even seen it done in flannel graph. Anyone? <laughs> flannel graph? Yes. The 80s were such a confusing decade for many of us. <laughs> Betty, you probably, did you flannel graph? Yes. So... I actually was actually thinking I should find some flannel graph. That would be awesome, but I didn't. I don't know where to find it. Um, so we know this story well, and I, I want to just you know paint a picture for us this morning. Hopefully, it gets us out of our like, oh yeah, Jesus like calmed the sea, and then he went on and whatever. Um, wow, he's really powerful. Um, hopefully, we can kind of move move beyond that this morning and. Um, as, we, as you may or may not know, this is, a, this is actually, the, the Gospel of Luke is a, a letter written to a man, Theophilus. And, and so <clears throat> let's just pretend that we're Theophilus, you know, hearing this for the first time. And you're reading through Luke, this really interesting letter, and like, okay, who's this Jesus? And so far you've read that Jesus, um, he's, he's healed some people. He's raised someone from the dead. Well, that's pretty impressive. He's given the Sermon on the Mount, so we have the Beatitudes and um, just all of that, that richness of like, oh, this guy, this is different. This is not what I'm used to hearing. Um, and then we get to this story. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And I think if, if I was in the situation, if I was, if I was the reader um, the, of Luke, well, I am the reader of Luke, but the first, first time reading it, I would read this story probably in the same way that the disciples respond. At the end of the story, it says that after Jesus calms the wind and the, and the wave, that they were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who can this be? He commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him. I think that's a pretty uh, normal response. Like, whoa, can you imagine, you know, one of Langley's storms, and someone just comes and is like, peace, be still. Or, peace, be still, like, whatever. Uh, could be a woman. Um, and suddenly it's just like, it stops. Like, that would be pretty amazing, right? I, I think it would be. The baby agrees with me. That's good. Um, so, okay. So Jesus is on a boat sleeping. And it's calm. It says that the storm comes after he falls asleep. So they're just sailing along nicely. Jesus falls asleep. He's tired. He's having a nap. 
And suddenly this huge storm comes. And we read in the other accounts that actually, like, like, they were afraid for their lives. It was a huge storm. And so I wonder, I, I wonder what they said to Jesus when they woke him up from his nap. Because they waited until they were at death's door before they woke him up. First of all, how amazing is it that Jesus could sleep through a storm like that? That right there is very suspicious to me. Um, it, something is going on besides just like a natural kind of thing, right? Like this boat is rocking and like, you know, it's like Titanic. No, that was, whatever. Okay, so, the, you know, and Jesus is sleeping. So they come to Jesus, 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 wake up. And what did they say? Like they could have had many responses, like depending on what was going on inside of them, they could have been, we're dying. Like, we want you to, to just to be, like, solidarity, brother. Like, like, let's, like, let's just die together. Kind of like Frodo and Sam, you know, like, at the very end, like, where they're just on the rock, and, like, we're just going to die together. I'm glad I'm with you, Frodo. You know, maybe they wanted that kind of thing, like, just an experience, like, we're going down. Jesus, we want you with us. Maybe Jesus had, like, an instrument, like, Jesus, play us Beethoven's concerta in D minor um, as we're going down, like, on Titanic. There you go. There's a good reference. Um, not really. Okay. Um, so maybe there was that going on. Or maybe the disciples actually had a little bit of faith. They'd been with Jesus now for a little while, and they saw that, um, well, he's healed people. He's raised someone from the dead. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus could actually, no, maybe, maybe. So let's give, a, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, and let's just say they had a little bit of faith. Like, I wonder if, if he could actually do this. Jesus! Like, we're dying. Can you do something? Stop this storm. We don't really know. We can ask the disciples someday. And then all we know next is that Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and he stops the storm and it's calm. Whoa. And the disciples, we, we are told, are, are amazed. They're blown away. Anyone get that? Blown away? Oh, I'm just not, I don't know. Meg, you get it. Okay, good. Okay, moving on. Um, the disciples are amazed. Like, who is this man that we are with? Um, and then we go on. The story goes on, and then the next story is that Jesus drives out demons. And, I mean, the Gospels are just full of these incredible stories. And we can, we can just read them and go, like, who is this God? And I think we should read them and be amazed at the power of God, because he's obviously, he's, He's building, right? He's building on things. And yet we don't want to miss this morning Jesus' words to the disciples. And that's where we want to camp um, the rest of our time together this morning. Jesus' response um, to them is very interesting after the storm dies down. He, he could have responded again in many different ways. You know, um, you guys, like, don't you know I'm God? Like, like, seriously, I just raised that guy from the dead two weeks ago. Of course I can do this. You know, he, he could have been a little bit exasperated, maybe even. Um, or he could have been annoyed that he was waking up from his nap. Like, I don't, I don't know, maybe he was in a really, well, obviously he was in a deep sleep. Um, or he could have said, you guys, I love you. I don't know why you waited so long before you came to wake me up. I don't want you to have discomfort in your life. Like, whenever just the slightest breeze comes by, the slight little drop of rain, come to me. I came so that your lives can be comfortable. I don't, oh, you guys, I love you. He could have done that. I don't know. I don't think that's what he would have done. 
But there's many responses that he could have had. Instead, the account we have is, where is your faith? And in, in the other um, accounts of this, of this story, in Matthew and Mark, it says, why are you fearful, you of little faith? And then in Mark, why are you fearful, do you still have no faith? Of course, this is pre-resurrection, so we have to give the disciples benefit of the doubt here. So what does this mean? Where is your faith? Do you guys ever wonder that? What does that mean? What is he asking them? What is he referring to? It seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and please do after the service, um, but it seems to me that the miracle of calming the wind and the waves was actually not on Jesus' mind. That what was on his mind was their fear and their lack of faith. That is what Jesus responded to. They responded to the miracle. Whoa, cool. But Jesus was concerned with something much different. He was concerned about their faith. And I actually wonder, and again, it's just a wondering, that um, if, if they wouldn't have come to him in fear and said, like, do something about this, and he got up, um, I wonder if Jesus actually would have calmed the storm at all. Do you ever wonder that? If they wouldn't have come to him and asked him, out of their fear, would the storm ever have been stopped or would it have just kept going on? I don't know. Good question. Thank you. Okay. So when in our own suffering, of course I'm going to make an analogy here, so give me license for that, please. Um, when in our own suffering, we impulsively and impulsively, like correctly, rightly do this in our suffering, God, make it stop. Make it stop. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed that prayer in the last two and a half years of my life. God, make it stop. And I think we can all relate to that. We've all been in situations where we just call out to God, and that is the only prayer that we have. But I think there's something else that Jesus wanted the disciples to learn here, and I think they do learn it eventually. Um, Later on in this chapter in Luke 8, there's another story about sleeping. This time it's a sleeping girl. Actually, she's dead. And she's, um, Jesus is called to come and heal her. And on his way, this little girl dies. And um, he gets there, and people are grieving. They're crying. And Jesus is, says, says to them, why, why are you crying? She's just sleeping. They're like, what? No, Jesus, she's dead. Like, she's dead. We, t- we checked. We know a dead person. And they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus because... He's crazy. She's not sleeping. And so Jesus walks up to this little girl and takes her by the hand and says, Child, get up. And she gets up. And I think, I know, we know, that Jesus sees things so differently than we do, right? What we see as dead, he sees as sleeping. What we see as dead, he sees as sleeping. And, I, and that's just, that's, that's how it is. Because he's, he's God, and we, we have this perspective. And I think that's what's going on in this story, too, where he just, where is your faith? Because there's something else going on here. 
And then the question of, of faith in what? Like faith that seasons will change? Faith that wet storms will stop? These are all very true things. Faith that morning will come? Morning always comes. Faith that time heals? These are all true things that we experience in our world. But mm, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, where is your faith? Where is your faith in me? Was the very fact that Jesus was present with them even though he was sleeping enough for them in this storm? Don't you know I'm with you? Even if to your eyes, to your experience, I look like I'm sleeping. Even, even if my presence is just with you, even if that's all you know, and that's, you don't hear me, you don't see me, I'm not active, I'm not, I'm not doing miracles, I'm not healing people, I am sleeping. Is that not enough? Oh, I don't know, you guys, that's like a hard question. And that is something that I have wrestled with in my life. Is your presence enough, God? So what do we do in the middle of storms, in the middle of suffering, in, in the middle of our world that suffers so much? I, th- I believe that Jesus is calling his disciples to relationship with him. And this is where it gets messy because relationships are messy. Relationships are not mathematical, right? It's not like two plus two equals four, therefore here's our relationship. Relationships are art, and, and art and, um, is mysterious. And Jesus is calling his disciples and calling us to relationship with him where we don't have all the answers. We don't have most of the answers. Is his presence enough for us? I'm not saying that Jesus didn't want to stop the storm that day. He very well could have. And he does want to stop storms in our life. Absolutely, absolutely. Please don't, don't, don't hear that. Um, but I wonder if Jesus also wants to tackle the, the, the bigger things, right, in our lives, in the, in the disciples' lives, which is their fear. Because storms, storms come and go in, in this world. We know that we get through one and the next one is around the corner. And so um, what if Jesus actually wants to change, you know, the inside of us and replace our fear with faith in him as we draw near to him. Fear is paralyzing. Fear is um, a thief, right? Fear steals life from us. And fear leads to death. Fear is not of God. And yet so often um, we find our comfort in fear. We find our comfort in the friends of death or in death itself. I don't know. I, I wish we could have a discussion. I wish we could stop the, me talking to you guys because I would love to hear what you think about this. Like, I'd love to hear and come please talk to me after because I'm still working this out. Like, I'm still working through my relationship with Jesus and through the storms of life, through those really, those really dark times. But I believe because of my own experience and because of what I read in scripture and, and because of the people who have gone before me and in your lives as well, that, that Jesus' presence 
there's something to it in our lives, right? There's something to his presence in the storm. Part of why we suffer, part of why suffering is so hard is because we do it alone, right? I mean, even, even when people have a common experience of suffering, um, there's still a part of that that you're, you're alone. No one else can know um, you in your suffering. And so suffering is multiplied in suffering because of the loneliness of suffering. I think that's exactly where God then meets us and says, you're not alone. I know you. I see you. I'm with you, even if you can't hear me. Even if it seems like I'm sleeping. And we know this because because God protests suffering. Does he not? I mean, the greatest protester of suffering is God himself through the cross. I was reading the paper yesterday, and there's a little article about um, protesters in Vancouver at the Vancouver Aquarium um, protesting the um, enslavery, is that the right word, of dolphins in slavery? No. Thank you. The captivity of dolphins. And so they were doing this silent protest with signs outside um, the, the aquarium, and I thought to myself, that's interesting, a silent protest. And, and sometimes those are effective, right? Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder, like, does God silently protest sometimes? And, and maybe, I mean, to us, of course, it seems like he does, right? It's like, God, can't you be louder? But at the end of the day, no, God does not silently protest. The cross is our, our first of many and our best example of a God who does not silently protest. Jesus went to the cross so that we would not have to live with suffering forever. He suffered, and he died, and he rose again to defeat evil and death and suffering forever. And so because... God protests suffering in our world, and he does in this day also. He does with the family in Langley who are suffering right now. He is protesting their suffering, and he is sending people um, to help them, his church. Um, In his book, Crucified God, uh, Moltmann says, the Christian life is a call to live in contradiction to the acceptance of suffering. This is what God did at the cross. In the end, suffering is not a problem or a riddle to be solved, but a reality to be protested because of the cross. Let me just read that last bit. In the end, suffering is not a problem or riddle to be solved, but a reality to be protested because of the cross. And so because Jesus is the ultimate protester against suffering, um, we also can protest suffering in our world and in our own lives, right? We protest against the, the darkness, but we do that in relationship with Jesus. And I think that's, that's the key. Again, going back to that, the, the disciples on the boat, you know, where is your faith? God's presence. We, we, we get to know him. We worship. We listen. We lament. And I think God tells us where and when to protest in very, very real ways, 
around our world. Paul says in Colossians that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He triumphed over them through the cross. And if we are in Christ, then they are powerless because Jesus has already won. And yet we have a very real enemy who has been defeated and is going down, um, but he's taking as many as he can with him. Some of my favorite theologians are disguised as musicians. And um, a song that has meant so much to me over the years is an old Cabin's Call song, and the lyrics go like this. The prince of despair has been beaten, but the loser still fights. Death's on a long leash, stealing my friends to the night. And everyone cries for the innocent. You say to love the guilty too. And I'm surrounded by suffering and sickness, so I'm working, tearing back the roof. So we, we work, right? We work for our friends. We tear back the roof so we can lower our friends to Jesus as our friends lower us to Jesus. It's not just, it's, we're all doing it together. Why? Why do we do that? Why, why do Danny and April give so much of themselves to their neighbors? Because we have hope. Because they have hope. And Paul gets really cocky in 1 Corinthians, and rightfully so, when he says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Paul sees the future, and it's good. In the future, there is no death. There's not even a sting of death. And we know that Jesus is coming back to restore all things, to make all things new and all things good. And in Revelation 21, we have a really, really, like a glimpse of insight into what this looks like. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief will Crying and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And this is our hope. This is, this is what we, we hang on to, on to even, in the, even in the dark, dark times of life and of our world's life. And there's a saying, I don't know if you've heard this saying before, is not what we know far less than the great hope that we feel. I think that's true a lot of times in life. But that's not always true. What happens when you're in the place where you know a little bit, but you feel no hope? What happens in those places? And, and suffering has a way of stripping us down to almost nothing. And I think that's as much as suffering is wrong, um, it's good when we're stripped down. You know, that's a good process because our religious baggage is just torn away and these things that we've, I don't know, just so much of, of who we are, it just becomes either a part of us or it doesn't. Like, we don't need that anymore. I, I can't carry that anymore. And it just becomes you and God and will I trust you? And that is it. We call it faith. And I think so much of our faith is not faith at all, but it's sight. But when, when we go through suffering, Our sight is gone, and all we have left is faith. 
And that is what Jesus wanted to give the disciples, faith in him. And I I feel like in my life, the last few years of my life especially, um, have been a time where I've, I've, I've in ways lost my faith, like what we call faith. I, I believe less. I, I understand less. I have more questions. And yet, I can tell you that what I do have left in my life is stronger than it ever was before. I know, I know, I know that in that darkness, in the shadow of death, that God was and is with me. And if you leave with nothing else today, um, know as someone who's just walking with you in some way this morning that, that there is hope, that there is hope, and that God is with you and you are not abandoned and you are not forgotten and you are not alone. And I still, I mean, to be just totally honest with you guys, I, I still have to choose life every day. That is what, um, with the story I told you at the beginning, that is, is the conclusion that I came to, is, you know, I, every day I need to choose life. It's not just like a magical, like, okay, now I'm going to think this way. No, we all know that, that we need to train ourselves, right? And, and that God transforms our mind, and that often happens over time. And so every day I wake up and I eat and I get dressed and I say, Jesus, I choose life today. I choose to find my comfort in you today and not in death, not in suicide, not in despair, not in depression. Because as ugly as those things are, they can be so compelling sometimes. And I no more. No more. I choose life. And for three and a half months, that has been my prayer. Almost every morning. Some mornings I don't do it when I'm like, yeah, life is awesome. Um, But it's just become a part of my relationship um, with Jesus as I learn to lean on him. So I want to encourage you guys this morning as we finish off to, to not just ask for God to end the storms of your life, Ask for that. He might. He, that might be exactly what he wants to do in this day, is to end that storm. But I also want to encourage you to ask him to deal with your fear and to, through his miracle, to replace that with faith. Ask him to give you his eyes for a situation that as everyone else sees a dying or a dead little girl, you see that she is only sleeping. And you pray into that. Like, okay, God, what are you doing in this situation? What do you want to do? And guys, this is just all about relationship. This isn't like a, there's no cure, right? There's no like, oh, this is the answer. This is just about you walking with Jesus every day, allowing him to fill you with his spirit. And okay, I don't know what's going to happen today. But I know I, I know I have my own suffering. I know I live in a world that's suffering. God, what are you up to today? I better listen. I better get to know you. I want to know your heart, God. What is your heart in this day? I know that someday your heart is to make all things right. But in this day, we are not there yet. 
right? The kingdom of God is here and is not yet. So right now we're in the here. So what are you doing, God? But invite, invite his presence. Worship him. Just sometimes all you can do is worship. Just worship him. And he will, he will show you. And if he doesn't show you, then okay, we'll just keep worshiping him. But choose life. Choose life in the spirit. There's only life and death. There's, there's nothing else. There's no neutral ground. There's no purgatory. There's no, um, you know, just like, well, today I'll just kind of watch Netflix all day and, and whatever, this day doesn't count. No, there's life or there's death. That's it. So choose life. Ask God to search your heart and to remove your fear. I mean, we're all, we're all afraid of something. Ask him to find that fear and to, and to uproot it. And choose to find your comfort in Jesus and not in death. Let's pray together. Father, today um, we just say again that we, we need you and we thank you that you are there. We thank you, God, that you are not sleeping. We ask for strength, God. We ask for fortitude in our lives to, um, to get through those storms um, that you don't stop right away. The ones that we're in the middle of, the ones that our world is in the middle of, the ones that we see in, um, in dark places, in, in, in places uh, in Africa and in Guatemala and in India, in the downtown east side of Vancouver, in Langley, in our neighbors next to us and in our own hearts, God, we ask for you to come to those places, to reveal your presence to us in those places. Give us eyes to see the way that you see the world and the people that you love so much. Jesus, today we choose life. We choose your life, Jesus. We want nothing else. We only want to be with you. We don't even know what that means most of the time, God. We don't know where you're going to lead us because of that. Um, But it doesn't matter. We trust you, God. We put our faith in you even when it's dark. Thank you so much for loving us. We give you our world, God. We ask you to heal our world. Heal our world, God. It's broken. It's broken. It's broken. It needs a healer. Would you come, Jesus, and heal us? Make us whole, God. Make the suffering stop. And use us, God, use our hands and our feet and our mouths and our arms and our hearts to show the world a different way, to show the world who our hope is. And Jesus, we say, come. Amen. to a time of uh, communion as a response to this, and Dan and the team will lead us in some songs uh, that echo that declaration. And I want you to picture our communion table today as a place where you can take steps away from fear and declare 
and begin to live out the hope of Jesus and the resurrection. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says it this way, God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, and it's only by God's grace that we've been saved. For he raised us, you and me, from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. And so those that are serving are going to make their way uh, to the tables, and we would invite you uh, not to delay. As soon as Dan and the team begin to lead us in worship and song, you're welcome to make your way to the table and invite God to root out fear and use this as a declaration of hope in your life. If you want to pray and talk with someone, we'll have teams that are available for you. Uh, Katie and Deb will be one team, Steph and Danny, and then Meg and myself, and we would love to pray uh, with you at this time about anything that God has been speaking with you about or things that are going on in your life. And so I'd invite you to stand at this point, and you're free to move to the tables if you want to kneel, if you want to pray with someone. Then let's just move into a spirit of response and worship this morning.